In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. With a shorthand, the 19th century Jesuit poet Gerard Manley Hopkins portrays the beautiful variability of nature in one of his finest poems. He describes the movement of clouds in the sky, the play of light that results from it, and the change that comes constantly in nature. He, in his words, speaking of a storm of wind, he says, delightfully, the bright wind boisterous, ropes, wrestles, beats earth bare of yester tempest's creases. What might seem like an entrance into a pastoral poem quickly changes its note. While reflecting on the endless variability and change of nature, he seems to discover a new thought, that man, too, is part of nature. And with that thought, a new and perplexing worry arises. What if man is completely submerged in nature? Will not the endless rule of nature's change mean death to all of man's aspirations to transcend nature? We ourselves could consider this in light of recent cosmological and biological theories of nature. In the 14 billion years of the universe's existence, vast changes have occurred. Entire galaxies have come into and out of existence. Even on our own poor Earth, which is a mere four and a half billion years old, we have known massive changes. Through a historical process stretching over the length of this time, organisms have grown and have died. Species of these organisms have become extinct and been passed over. And since our own biological ancestry is traced through such means, some thinkers conclude that therefore we ourselves are nothing but products of mere random chance. They conclude that, or should conclude, that we do not transcend nature and are doomed to be swallowed up in her endless change, that neither our species nor us as individuals and our actions will have any lasting value, that everything will be in vain. Hopkins continues with his despairing description of man's place in nature, characterizing the endless change of nature as an all-consuming fire. He says, million-fueled nature's bonfire burns on. And he continues, speaking of man, how fast his fire dent, his mark on mind is gone. All is in an unfathomable all is in an enormous dark drowned. And finally, death blots black out, nor mark is any of him at all so stark, but vastness blurs, and time beats level. He puts the lie to the secular humanist hope that man can fashion a meaning of and for himself simply out of nothing. There is no hope. That, our, that man or his achievements can count for anything if man himself does not transcend nature. In today's reading to the epistle to the Hebrews, it tells us of a reason for our hope, of a reason for our confidence. And I think our Jesuit poet, Gerard Manley Hopkins, hits on it. 
Paul tells us that we have confidence of access to the throne of grace through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And I'd like to propose three truths which correspond to three questions which show why we can have confidence. The first one is, what am I? The second question is, who am I? And the third question is, who has claimed me? The answers to these questions will solve the apparent problem raised with the man who doesn't know his origin and his destiny and therefore despairs of his meaning. First, what am I? The answer is I am a human being. As a human being, I am an animal, yes. I am a product of natural forces, yes. I am a part of nature. But I am also an ensouled being. I am an animal with an immortal soul. And so this is the first truth. I am an animal with an immortal soul. I am not merely bound to nature, but I transcend it. And even though my body dies, my soul will still survive. What am I? The sort of thing already fitted by nature to survive death. I am the sort of thing whose destiny is not circumscribed to the material here and now. We see this represented symbolically in the Genesis account of man's creation, which portrays man as created on the one hand from the clay of the earth, and on the other hand, God as breathing the breath of life into man. Second, we can ask, who am I? And the answer is, I am a son of God. I am someone recreated in the image of the most holy trinity, and in whose breast is lodged the divine indwelling, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In my heart, grace, which is simply the divine life itself, itself has been poured. The Second Vatican Council says this. It says, when a divine instruction and the hope of life eternal are wanting, man's dignity is most grievously lacerated. Riddles of life and death, of guilt and of grief, go unsolved, with the frequent result that men succumb to despair. As a result of becoming a son of God, a Christian is capable of acting in a, in a supernatural way. His actions are capable of attaining to eternal life. By doing good works, meritorious works, works made alive by the divine virtue of charity, of love, man can, as Jesus says, store up for himself treasure in heaven, where neither rust nor moth can destroy. In the Genesis account, this supernatural vocation is represented when it says that the man and the woman walked in the cool of the evening in the garden with God. They walked in friendship with God. Finally, we can ask, who has claimed me? And our second reading answers this also. God has claimed me in and through Jesus Christ. We know that if we rely on our own powers, we're bound to fail. And yet, God is the center of our hope. Grace both elevates and heals. In answer to the first, in answer to the second question, we, we talked about how grace elevates us to a supernatural destiny. 
Here, we emphasize the grace that heals. One of the greatest causes of discouragement in our life is our own moral weakness. Even though I'm fitted by nature to survive death, I am doomed by my sins to be separated from God. And so there opens before us a terrifying consequence that just as my actions can reverberate in eternity for good, so too they can do so for evil. We could think, my sins are too great. God can't love me. But this is backwards. God doesn't love us because we ourselves are good. If that were the case, he would not have come to save us in the first place. Rather, God loves us because he himself is good. And as perfect and unchanging as his goodness is, so too is his love for us. Because he himself suffered and died, as St. Paul says, while we were still his enemies, how much more confidence should we have that he will, that he will still help us now that we are his friends? And gazing on the wounds of his passion, we should be brought alive with even more confidence that the one who himself is merciful on us, who took on all of our weakness, except for sin, will still help us. In the Genesis account, after the expulsion of man and woman from the garden, unexpectedly, the Lord has mercy on the man and the woman in their nakedness and clothes them with animal skins. We can see in this an image of the mercy, the unexpected mercy of Christ, who clothed himself in human nature that he might save us. Our poet priest, Gerard Manley Hopkins, after surveying the despair that he has over the changeability of nature and man's place in it, makes a dramatic turn, and I'll leave you with this. In a way, he answers these questions for us. He, he characterizes man as ordinary, yes, as something, someone within nature. He calls man Jack, someone ordinary. He characterizes us as matchwood, as something that is cheap and breakable. But at the same time, on account of Christ, he says that we have been transformed into, in his words, immortal diamond. He characterizes us as all. He characterizes all of humanity as being in the light of the resurrection, which is, as it were, a beacon of light from a lighthouse. He says, Enough, the resurrection, a heart's clarion. Away grief's gasping, joyless day's dejection. Across my foundering deck shone a beacon, an eternal beam. Flesh fade and mortal trash fall to the residuary worm. World's wildfire leave but ash. In a flash, at a trumpet crash, I am all at once what Christ is, since he was what I am. And this jack, joke, poor, potsherd, patch, matchwood, immortal diamond, is immortal diamond. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.